This podcast is a presentation of Sunset Presbyterian Church. For more information, log on to our website at www.sunsetpres.org. All right, today we are going to study Mark chapter 1, verses 14 to 20. We're going to look at the core message of Jesus Christ, his main point, his central theme. In many ways, uh, you could call it his thesis statement. Has anyone here ever written a thesis statement? Yeah? Oh, there's groans, right? The students are constantly writing thesis statements. So a thesis is a proposition put forward for you to consider. It's a big idea for you to think about. Um, and, And a proposition is usually a single sentence. So Jesus's thesis it has one central idea, and in a sense, he defends it with his life. Jesus begins his ministry by publicly proclaiming this one big idea. He goes from synagogue to synagogue, from town to town, heralding this one big idea. What's the big idea? Anyone know what the big idea is? The kingdom of God has come near in him. That's his single senses. That's his thesis. That's his proposition. That is his big idea. The kingdom of God has come near. And he does not just teach about what the kingdom of God is like. He literally shows what the kingdom of God is like through his life. He's going to call his disciples and he's going to call us to think about that thesis statement, to believe it, and then to follow him. Friends, this is a life-changing message, a life-changing message. In fact, we're going to read about four uh, fishermen who were minding their own business. Uh, They were fishermen, um, and I feel like I know these four men, especially two of them, I have literally visited their hometown. I have literally been at the place where they work. I've literally been to the cities that they have visited. And these men, if you think about it, they woke up, they went to work, they went home, they fell asleep, they woke up, they went to work, they went home, they fell asleep, minding their own business, until one day, a very special person came and called them to follow him. He called them to be a part of a subversive movement of radical love. And the surprise is they accepted the call, they followed him, and they helped start a movement that has literally transformed the world. So how about you? If you feel... Your life is small and you long to be a part of something more than the routine. If you'd like to be a part of this world-transforming movement, if you want to witness healings and miracles, if you want to see the brokenness of your world and the brokenness of the world restored, if you want to become more than what you do for work, this message is for you. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for calling us here today. 
You know, there's no accident that we're here, even if we're here just to support a friend. Um, Lord, I know I've met new people who are coming. I've met them. I've met people who have come back after 20 years I met. So, so Lord, thank you for calling us here. And I believe you, ha- you want us to look at this thesis and consider it. Would you fill us with your Holy Spirit? Help us to think about the core message of Christ. Help us to believe it. And then help us to follow Jesus into his kingdom. May our lives be transformed. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, all right. Again, we're studying Mark chapter 1, verses 14 to 20. Let's take, before we look at it, I want to take a look at the context. Because if you don't see the context, you don't see how powerful this thesis really is. So if you remember, the Gospel of Mark begins with that single opening sentence. What is it? The beginning of the Gospel about Jesus Christ. It's about the gospel. And in that context, the gospel was really the good news about a king, about a coming king or a new king or the kingdom, the realm expanding. So it's a gospel. And that's essentially the title, the opening sentence. But how do you know, how does Mark in this brilliant gospel start the gospel? What's the first thing he does? He quotes Isaiah the prophet. By the way, Isaiah, the, Isaiah should be required reading for everybody. It is so important. He quotes Isaiah 40. The book of Isaiah is a prophecy about judgment and restoration for Jerusalem. Judgment and hope. Judgment and restoration. And in it, God promises a royal Messiah is going to come after the fall, after the judgment. But God, more importantly, promises that he... God is going to show up. He's going to return. But first, before he comes, he's going to send a messenger ahead of him to prepare the way. And so here it is. Let's look at this. Mark 1, 2 through 3. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. A voice of one crying in the wilderness. And what's he going to cry? Prepare the way for the Lord. Make his paths straight. The messenger prepares the way so that God could come and restore and rescue very quickly. So again, the messenger is preparing the way by making the path straight. Don't let anything get in the way of God's quick return. You know, this call to make Path straight reminds me of seeing U.S. presidents visit a city. Have you ever been in a city when a U.S. president, by show of hands, anyone ever seen or experienced that? So I have a few times. So I was in New York City, um, and President George Bush Sr. came to town, and they wanted the path so straight from the airport to the U.N. building that they literally, he came in the middle of the night. I happened to be up. And they had, even though it was night, they barricaded every street. So I couldn't get to where I wanted to go because the street was barricaded. But I did get to see the president and his his vehicle pass by. They weren't letting anything get in the way. 
two other times, I saw two other presidents. I didn't see them physically, but two other presidents visited Manila. I lived in the Philippines for 13 years, and Obama and Trump came, and um, they also barricaded all the, the streets. In fact, guess what? They gave everybody the day off when the president came. Yes. So everyone had the day off. Why? Nothing would get in the way. Nothing would stop them from that quick entrance into where they needed to be. And so right after Mark quotes Isaiah about sending this messenger, what's the first thing we see? Who's the first person we see after the quote? John the Baptist. He appears and he's baptizing in the wilderness, preparing the way for the coming of God. And then according to the prophecy in Isaiah, who is the messenger? So if John's that messenger prophesied in Isaiah, who's the messenger preparing the way for? God! The messenger's preparing the way for God. You're getting ahead of me. You're right, actually, but you're getting ahead of me. So you just anticipated what's coming next. And then, to everybody's surprise, guess who shows up? Yes! Jesus shows up. And he's baptized. Heavens are torn open. And he, the God, the Father declares, you are my beloved son. And now we're ready to come to our text today. Mark 1, verse 14. And now after John, who prepared the way, was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming this gospel of God about himself and saying, can you say it with me? The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Well, what, that's his thesis statement. What, what is fulfilled? What's, what's being fulfilled? The long-awaited promise from the Old Testament of the coming of God to restore all things is being fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's now. It's here. This is the core message of Jesus. It's his main topic. It is his central theme. It is the thesis statement of Jesus. And the central sentence that he asks us to think about is that the kingdom of God, it's here in Jesus Christ. So today, I want to do two things with you. First, I want to take a look at the kingdom of God, and I'm going to just ask the five basic W questions, the who, why, what, when, how, where, of the kingdom of God. That's the first thing we're going to do. And then the second thing I'd like to do is to apply it to our lives as well. Sound good? All right. So who's, who's first? Whose kingdom is it? Well, that's Theos. It's God. It's the creator of the universe, the maker of heaven and earth and things seen and unseen. The, uh, uh, Psalm 103 says, The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over not just little parts or not somewhere, rules over everything, all things. That's who we're talking about, the Lord's kingdom. The second question, what then is the kingdom of God? Because in the, this is such an important topic. In the Gospels alone, the phrase kingdom of heaven appears 115 times. The phrase kingdom of God appears 189 times. And by the way, those phrases are synonymous. They mean the same thing. 
And then his kingdom also appears at least six times. So over 300 times, the kingdom of God is a dominant theme throughout the Gospels. What is the kingdom of God? The basic meaning of the word kingdom in the Bible is this. It means God's reign. Now, not like the rain we get in Portland. It's rain, R-E-I-G-N, the rule of God. And this kingdom includes a realm and includes a people, but the kingdom of God is not talking about a physical location. It's not talking primarily about the people in it. It's, that's not what it's talking about. The kingdom of God describes God's reign, his rule. That's what it is. Now, Jesus helps us to understand what the kingdom is when he teaches only one prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, and then there's, the, there's only, what, six petitions. The first petition, may your name be holy. And then the second petition is one petition. May your kingdom come where your will is done on, in hev- on earth as it is in heaven. That whole thing holds together. So in other words, where God's kingdom comes is where his will is done. Wherever, here in the Philippines, wherever it may be, is where his kingdom comes. Third, third question, why? Why does God's kingdom matter? Why, why does it matter to look at this, his thesis statement? Because God's kingdom comes in order to restore all things. Who here would like brokenness restored, things mended, renewal in life? The kingdom of God is God's operation, his plan to make that happen. And that's why in Jesus we see the kingdom of God come when we see his ministry, which we're going to look at together, we're going to see Healing happened, like blind people seeing, lame walking, mute speaking. That's all in fulfillment. That's all language from Isaiah. Jesus fulfills that. We're going to see justice administered. We're going to see sin forgiven, evil confronted, death destroyed. The reason why the kingdom of God matters is that when the kingdom comes, brokenness in our world and the world is restored. We, there's restoration May God's kingdom come. I mean, amen. (laughs) Now, the fourth question, where is this kingdom? Jesus teaches that the kingdom of God is not a physical kingdom. It's not a place. Jesus has been publicly announcing, proclaiming the kingdom of God. It's at hand. So naturally, this is his thesis statement. It's not private. He's publicly going around speaking about it. So naturally, the religious leaders are going to do their good due diligence and make sure Jesus is in line. So the Pharisees come and they say, uh, being at, in Luke 17, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, this is what Jesus says. The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. That means to be carefully looked over. Nor, he says, will they say, hey, look, there it is. There's the kingdom. Or there over in that country, there's where the kingdom is. It's not going to be like that. He says, behold. And I love that word. It means 
Pay attention to this. Pay attention. Behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Literally, in Greek, it's within. He's talking about the heart. It's not an external kingdom. It is a spiritual kingdom, not a physical location. Now, it, oh, it can manifest itself physically in the places where God's will is done. The kingdom of God is within you because when the will of God is done, the kingdom comes. And I think more to the point, the reason Jesus tells the Pharisees that the kingdom of God is in the midst of them is because he was in the midst of them. It's translated at hand. That's what it literally means because he was literally at hand. He could have shaken those Pharisees' hands. He was right there. And that brings us to the final question. When does the kingdom come? And here's the big surprise. And you got it right. Surprise. They're expecting God Jesus shows up. The kingdom of God is at hand. It came with Jesus Christ. And the reign of Jesus began after his death and resurrection. If you remember, just before he ascended to the Father, what he said, he said just before he ascended, he said, all authority, all of it, all authority has been in heaven and on earth has been, that's past tense, has already been, after his resurrection, has already been given to me. Now, that doesn't mean that everybody lives in line with his will or under his will. It doesn't mean that, but it's given to Christ. His reign began then. And uh, Stephen, just before he's stoned in uh, Acts 7, when the religious leaders are about to stone him, he says, Behold, remember, pay attention, I see the heavens torn open, just like at the baptism, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. So when Jesus says the kingdom of God is near, it's at hand, it's near because he is near. He is at hand. So, are you with me, by the way? So, second, let's apply this. How do we respond to Jesus' big idea? How do we respond to his thesis statement, the kingdom of God is at hand in him? Jesus is going to ask us to do three things. One, repent. Two, believe. And three, follow. And I want to take a look at these three things with you. So the first thing we're called to do, by the way, remember I talked about Mark is an action gospel. To do, to do. He's going to call us to do. The first thing he calls us to do is to repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. The first thing he says to do, repent. It's a verb, to do. It's an action. I want, I want to look at this word repent with you for a moment. Now, when you read the word repent, what do you think of? You can verbally say things. What do you, when we repent, what do you think that means? Sorry for, absolutely. So, to feel sorry for, that's what we understand repent to mean. And the Latin Vulgate translated the Greek uh, Septuagint word, the Greek word, with a Latin word. So the Greek word um, means to, to feel sorry for or to regret, to regret something that you've done. The root of it literally means to creep on the floor, to crawl. You know, you did something. 
That's the meaning behind that Greek, that, that Latin word. In fact, I think the word regret and repent are synonymous in Latin, but any Latin experts can affirm that or confirm that. But, it, but the Greek new word, the Greek word that's translated repent is the word metanoia. Can you say that? Metanoia. It's made up of two uh, different words. And it, it, the Greek word is different than our understanding of the word repent. So meta, meta means after or implies change. Noia comes from nous meaning mind. So it literally means to think. It's a verb, so it's not the noun mind, but it's to think after something. That's literally what it means to think after, or the implication is to change. So if it were pre-noia, it would be to think the way you thought before. If it were paranoia, para is, means alongside, so a paranoia would be like out of their mind, or beside themselves. To metanoia means to go after, to think after something. Metanoia does not mean to feel sorry for your sins. It means to think after something or to change your thinking into something. Now, why am I looking at this word? Because we're, this call is to repent is not a call to feel sorry and regret for your sins. There are other passages in the Bible that call us to do that. There are, but that's not what this word is talking about. Jesus here gives us his central thesis statement, his big idea. And Jesus is proclaiming the kingdom of God is near because Jesus is near. And what Jesus is calling us to do is to think about it. Think after it. Consistently consider his thesis to Change your thinking into this thesis that the kingdom of God has finally come in Jesus Christ. And that's why Jesus is constantly teaching about the kingdom, the parables that he teaches. You know, he says the kingdom, it's like finding a hidden treasure. Who would like that? You want to, I mean, who would? Yes. Or a pearl of great value. He says, seek after it. And his one main great parable is the parable of the sower. It's all about the kingdom. The sower is Jesus. The seed is his message. What's Jesus' central message, his thesis? The kingdom of God has come. And what he says in that parable is that some people will hear that, that message and reject it, while other people will receive it, and then amazing things happen. What happens when they receive it in the parable? Parable of the sower, not just growth, like crazy growth, like unbelievable, miraculous growth. One seed, plop, a hundred. Wow, that's what happens. So he's calling us to think about it. And his whole life demonstrates its coming, the healing of people, the confronting of evil, the restoration of things, the forgiveness of sins, the death is destroyed. The kingdom of God is near in Christ, and he wants us to think about it. The second word he calls us to is believe. Can you say that? Believe. Believe is a verb. It's an action. It's actually an imperative verb, which means it's a command to do. 
action is required. It is a present active imperative verb, which means we are to continuously believe. There is continuous action. Jesus is calling us to believe into him and into his message. Again, what is he calling us to believe in? His message. The kingdom of God has come near in him. That's what he's calling us to believe in. Don't just think about it. Take the next step and believe. The next step and believe in him. In this thesis statement. Now, how do you know? How do you know if you believe in him? How do you know? Your belief is confirmed when your belief turns into action. For example, does anyone here believe that this chair will hold them? By a show of hands, does anyone, by a show of hands, does anyone here believe? Not everybody believes that, (laughs) which is fine. You can believe whatever you want, but so, so most of you believe that this chair will hold you. And that's true. You have belief. It's absolute. You're believing. You're trusting. Now, how will, how can you prove, how can you know for sure you believe it? Anyone want to do it? I have all, yeah, you want to come up? No? No? Someone is? Okay, I'll do it. I don't want to embarrass him. Someone, I, I wasn't expecting it. Someone in the first service was like, ooh. And then she came right on up and sat down. I loved it. So here, I, I mean, I can say I believe, and that's true. I do. I do believe it. But it is confirmed when I actually sit, when I actually take action on it. That's when it is confirmed. Now, that, so how do you know if you believe in Jesus? It's when you move into action. And follow him. And that brings us to the third to do. The third to do, he says, follow, follow me. So right after Jesus proclaims his thesis statement, the kingdom of God is near, think about it, believe in that gospel. What's the first thing that happens right after that? He calls his first disciples. So if you remember the story, um, we're going to meet four fishermen, Jewish fishermen living in Israel, working on the Sea of Galilee. And look what happens here. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting their nets into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Hey guys, I'm just wondering, maybe you want to think about following me? I mean, you don't have to. Take your time. Take, take your time and think about it. I mean, is that what happened? He, no. Follow me. Follow me. And I will make you become more than what you do. I'll make you become fishers of men. And what happened? Surprise, surprise. 
They didn't, they didn't think about it. They didn't need to go through the steps of thinking and belief. Immediately, it says that they left their nets and they followed him. Well, that's just one story. It goes again. He's going further along the Sea of Galilee, and he sees James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, and they're in the boats mending their nets. And immediately, he called them, come, come. And they left their net, their father Zebedee, in the boat and with their hired servants, and they followed him. Jesus called them to follow It's another imperative verb. It's a command. Come. Not, what you kind of think about? Come. Come follow me. And how did they respond? Just immediately. Now, how did the disciples actually follow Jesus? How did they follow him? They spent time with him and they talked to him. Simple as that. You know, I was spending time with my 10-year-old son named Zephyr. And we went to a park near our home, and we were sitting on the swings. And um, so my 10-year-old said, as we're swinging together, just spending a little time with each other, he says, Papa, it's good to get to know you. And I don't know why I asked this, but I said, what is it? mean to truly know somebody? (laughs) What does it mean to truly know somebody? And without skipping a beat, without catching a breath, he says, you talk to them and spend time with them, dummy. No, he didn't say that. (laughs) He's like, you talk to them and spend time with them. Duh, that's what you do. We can begin our journey of following Jesus immediately Today, by simply spending time together, week in and week out, looking at Jesus through the Gospel of Mark together. So, let me conclude here. Jesus says, the kingdom of God has come in me. Think about it. Believe it and follow me. Jesus is calling you. You know, have you ever not been invited to, like, something you wanted to go to? Anyone? Well, you're popular. Like, you're... I've been not invited to some things, and it hurt. You know, when someone doesn't invite you, you feel hurt, right? So when you're invited, it feels good. But it's one thing just to be invited. It's another thing when Jesus calls, Mo, Mo, I see you. I'm, I'm calling you, come. It's a whole other thing when you're called. And Jesus is calling every one of you. So, where are you today? Maybe you need to think about it. Maybe you need to ask questions. You know, when I first learned about Jesus, I needed to ask a lot of questions. I was not like Peter and, you know, Andrew. I did not immediately follow Jesus. That was not me. I had to ask questions. And someone was patient enough to hear my questions, to try to answer them as as he could. Jesus is calling you to consider his message. And if you're thinking about whether to believe in the good news of Jesus... I want to say the fact that you're even thinking about it is very good news. The fact that you're here, you're even thinking about it, means God is calling you. So I want to invite you, 
If that may be you, you have questions, you just want to still think it through a little bit more, I want you to come forward at the end of the service. And Pastor Mike and I will be here and other elders will be here. If you have some questions, come. We'd love to talk to you about your questions. Or email me. Let's talk. I'll take you out for coffee. Let's talk about the questions that you have. I'd love to do that. Well, second, maybe you, thought, maybe you have thought about the message of Jesus and you, after thinking about it, you just today, you need to take that next step of belief. Jesus is calling you today to believe in him, in his message. So I want to invite you today, immediately, to believe in Jesus. If today is the first time when you have that sense of ner- uh, n- nudging that to trust him, I want to invite you, after the service is over, I'm going to have that chair right up front, and I want to invite you, just as an act of belief, after the service is over, just come and just sit. Sit in the chair. You don't need to talk about anything. I'll be there, be around to pray, but as just an act of of belief as a tangible way to say today's the day and today's the day I want to respond I'm going to invite you at the end of the service to just sit in the chair you don't you don't have to stay in the chair you can just sit in it now maybe you believe in the good news about Jesus and you need to take the next step to follow him Jesus is calling you today to follow him I want to invite you to follow him you can start following him simply by spending time with him through reading the gospel and talking to him through prayer. So I have a bunch of books. Uh, These are just books of the gospel of Mark. If today's the day when you want to immediately start following him, this book is for you. You can take it for free. This is your book, just a way to start that process of, of following him, taking that action step of following Jesus. And that, that you can read and then come and follow along in this Gospel of Mark series. Well, now maybe you're already following him, but you're doing it alone. If you notice, when the first call of the disciples, Jesus does not just call one disciple. He doesn't. He calls many. And he spent time with 12. And he focused on three individuals. So maybe you are following him, but I want to invite you to that next step of joining a small group of followers of Jesus. You can go to the next step uh, counter and get signed up to enroll in a small group. Or maybe today you have thought about it and you already trust Jesus and you're following hard after him and you're in a small group and you're in a serve group. I want to invite you today to become, what a great word, become fishers. People, I want to invite you to invite at least one person this year to follow Jesus. Help someone think it through. Encourage someone to consider Christ. Encourage someone to follow Jesus. Jesus is calling. Think about this, he says. Think about my message. Jesus is calling. Believe in me today. Jesus is calling. Follow me today. And your life will become more than what you do 
for work. Your life will become something higher and greater. Jesus is inviting and calling you today to join his mission of restoration to enter his kingdom. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for calling us. Would you help us to think after you and your message? Please give us the gift of faith. Help us to actively, continuously believe in you. Help us today to sit in that chair. Lord Jesus, encourage us to follow you and may your kingdom come where your will is done and may we see the restoration you bring. And all God's people said, Amen. I'd like to call forward former, current elders, prayer ministers to to come forward. And I just want to invite any of you after this service to come forward for prayer. Maybe you have questions, you want to think through things, we'd love to pray for you. Or maybe today you want to sit in that chair and just declare your publicly, you just want to declare your belief today. Or you want to start following him, you can come and grab these books Um, But we'd love to pray with you. We'd love to even pray about the people you may want to invite in the future. So uh, come receive prayer and receive this blessing. The kingdom of God has come in Jesus. He is calling you. So may we think about it. May we believe it. May we follow him. And may we see restoration, new life, new beginnings. And all God's people said,